Welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen. We are a mother-daughter duo of mediums, medical intuitives, psychics, and energy healers offering personal sessions to clients all over the world. And this is our podcast. Coffee with the Sarlows is a platform to share the remarkable experiences of our clients and the messages that are channeled for them from the spirit world. These stories will make you laugh, some will make you cry, and some are certain to be an absolute butt-kicking with love. Our intent for this podcast is to gently and kindly challenge your belief systems, grow your empathy, and help you find pieces of your own self in each one of these individuals' stories. Karen, before we get into today's show, let's start things off with show notes. Yes, Kelly and I have personal practices channeling for local and international clients. If the stories in these shows is something you'd like to experience, you can request your own personal session through our website, bysarlo.com, or email us at info at We also have gift certificates available if you wish to gift this experience to someone anywhere in the world. We have a second podcast series called Sips of Sanity. This series is your emotional and intuitive intelligence toolkit. We pick one topic every month and provide you with healthy tools for critical thinking and communication. This series airs the first week of every month. The first show in every series is free and can be found on our website, your favorite podcast platform, or YouTube. The remaining four shows can be found at patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Patreon is our membership portal with a ton of monthly benefits for those of you seeking to grow your emotional and intuitive intelligence. Karen has a personal blog that explores the beauty and importance of intuitive gifts. There is a question and answer segment that addresses listeners' questions. As we mentioned, you can find the complete Sips of Sanity series here along with handy habit trackers and great reflective questions to help you get the most from the shows. We provide you with guided journeys and music to enrich that experience, and we're running an emotionally intelligent, interactive book club. And for the patrons in our top tier, we're giving away a free half-hour channeling session with one of us every month. If you're interested in joining us, head over to patreon.com forward slash by Sarlo. Now on to today's show. Hey guys, welcome back. Karen, what are we talking about today? Um, this is a client who called in to ask about past lives. Mm, we haven't had one of those in a while. Mm-hmm. As, as a story, not as sessions. Those happen all the time. Yes. You made a great point that they happen far more often than we discuss. And I found when I went back and was looking at what kinds of podcasts we were doing on Coffee with the Sarlows, a lot of them are medium. Mm-hmm. And in all honesty, I don't think that, well, no, maybe medium is more common, but I would say past lives is like climbing right up there. For where, sessions? Yeah. Mm. Where more people are asking about them or they'll ask about their future. They'll ask about a career and a, or a relationship and say, go open. And I find that a past life will come in to teach them what their lessons are and what they're working on and what they're stuck in. Mm-hmm. And that it's a repetitive pattern, therefore there's more likelihood that they're ruminating. Neat. Unless they get the emotional intelligence to break the rumination pattern all on its own. But not a lot of people, unless they're in therapy for particular reasons, understand that they're ruminating. They just live their life that way. And a lot of them think everybody lives their life that way and that it's just normal. Well, and whether you're in therapy or not, your therapist is not going to be qualified or know enough to say, this Mm. is a past life pattern. Right. So you kind of dropped a whole bunch of bombs that I don't think we were even going to talk about today, but here they are. Yes, and here they are, because this all has to do with this uh, gentleman. So would you like to name him? A gentleman. A man. Elias. Elias? Did you make it up? I'm working through the superstore people. Oh, okay. That's your new your new show that you're working through. Yeah, for the, okay. Well, if you not listened to the recent shows, I've been naming all of them. Oh, no, I had not caught on to that. Okay, so Elias calls. He simply says to me, do you 
could I know you go into past lives. I don't understand the significance of everything, but I'm going to go into an open session. I have one hour. I don't know if it's actually just going to unfold, that my needs are going to be met. I do have some things I want to do. So at the halfway point, I am going to hit a pause button with you just to check in and see how I'm doing. He says, but I'm super interested in the past lives. So I'm going to go with that first. Yeah. So I said, okay, we will do that at the halfway point. So I just turned, asked the spirit guides what they had about past lives. And they said, we're going to talk about lifetimes of addiction. Mm. As his, like right off the top with him. And I said, is this going to have relevance? Because this is what I like. I want it to have relevance. Mm -hmm. Not that people are calling to ask about past lives just out of curiosity, I'm not so interested in doing sessions like that. I want them to pertain to something. I want to see that they're a benefit to the client. Well, I think you're pointing out two really important concepts, and Mm -hmm. that is that many clients ask about past lives out of pure curiosity, Mm -hmm. not knowing that there will be relevance. Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that you and I aren't interested unless there's relevance, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily why it comes up. Exactly. For the other person. Yep. So, Eliasis. I hate the name that you picked, but I'm going to try and go with it. So, Eliasis guides um, tell me that he's had addictions in the past to alcohol, to sex, to drugs, and to people-pleasing. And that I can go ahead and explain that to him. Um, And that if I want, I can ask for validation or see what he wants to do with that kind of message. And uh, so I mentioned, I said, you know, Elias, said they're bringing up the fact that there have been many lifetimes with different kinds of addictions. I mentioned them all and he goes, I'm curious. He says, I never would have expected that you would have said people-pleasing. He goes, I don't understand that at all. I get the drug, the alcohol, the sex addictions. I understand the gambling. I get the other forms that you've mentioned, but I don't understand why you put people pleasing in there. And I said, oh, I said, because it's an addiction as well. And so he asked me, mm. can I, can I just kind of, this might go in a totally different direction. Can I just try and illustrate it in a different way? Mm-hmm. I, I want to pair it with something that we know to be an addiction as a society, which is shopping. Oh, the, yeah. The spending addiction and how often people who have spending addictions gift And so they may see, or maybe people can kind of connect the dots here and go, okay, I can see how a spender would overspend as part of their addiction and it would become gift giving, lavish gifts to all these people. But part of the addiction in there is the feeling they get when someone says thank you, gets excited, the thrill they get from giving. Mm -hmm. So if people can go, well, yeah, that makes sense to me as an addiction, That's exactly people-pleasing. It's just Mm -hmm. not necessarily spending money Mm -hmm. to get that feeling of importance or appreciation. Or self-worth, self-esteem, because it's not based in anywhere, any place that's actually healthy. It's based in, as you said, this addiction to the gambling, to the shopping, to Mm -hmm. whatever. In your case, it was to the shopping. I like when you credit me for the things that you say. (laughs) Gambling didn't come out of my mouth. That was you, but thank you. I am very smart. (laughs) That's good. Go on. Well, Elias then says to me, "Um, you'd be correct. And I said, oh, so it's applicable into this life. And he said, it is. He says, I can't believe that you're just going into my very first past life and you're talking about something that pertains to this. And I said, you know what, Elias, don't tell me anything. I'm just going to continue with what the guides want to say about it. And give you those messages. And then you can give me some feedback if you'd like. So the guide said that in this, in in other lifetimes, he had stayed in those addictions and didn't get the help to come out. He just didn't, he didn't believe in therapy. Conveniently, right? I don't believe in going to a support group. Conveniently, right? So I said, in past lifetimes, you conveniently find your belief system that allows you to sabotage and allows you to enable yourself and allows, and you create your beliefs around that. So if your partner is codependent and enables you, then you believe that's love. It's unconditional. 
Yeah. <laughs> and we had a little moment there, and he just looked at me, and he goes, I, I, I'm uncomfortable. And I said, um, okay. I said, are you uncomfortable because it's correct? It, because that would be, if I'm making what I think is an intelligent analysis here, I would assume that some of that is hitting home or it wouldn't be bothering you or making you feel guilt or shame. And he said, that's correct. And I said, does it come from me? And he goes, that's a really good question. And he paused and he went, no, it isn't. And it was a moment. It was a golden moment. And then I just kept looking at him and he goes, oh, this is a weird thing. He goes, I, um, and you could see the discomfort. And he goes, um, so you said you're an energy healer? And I said, yes. Would that explain what's happening in here? And would that explain what's happening in here? And I'm going into a sweat. And I said, yes, that can explain a lot of that. Would it also explain that it feels like a blanket is coming off of my brain? A fog, he says, where I believed that the people around me were judging me, and I thought that's where all my shame was coming from, so I was mad at them. But in other words, you're telling me that it's not them and that it's me? And I said, good work. This guy's a quick study. Yeah. And you know what, Kelly? Like I said, it's energy healing because... There is no way that just sitting there and looking at him can unravel all of that. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's got a PhD in some kind of therapy might be sitting here listening to the show going, what the hell? That would have just taken so many sessions in therapy to uncover. This is where I credit the spirit world with just doing the energy healing that is far beyond what I know how to do. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says, oh, are you ever a good energy healer? I just kind of go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Because I get it to a degree that you ha- I have to live my life with integrity in order for this to occur. Because not all energy healers can do that. Mm-hmm. But I also understand that the universe is working their ass off. I also understand that in some way he is too. Mm-hmm. And that his soul is working its ass off to help him and reach him. And... I feel like in that moment, he reached in and found the needle in the haystack, that he found a core belief that he had been holding on to that was creating a cycle of self-abuse, that if I just believe that other people are judging me, then I can go into my shame. And every time I go into my shame, I ruminate. And when I ruminate, I need a release. And to release, I have to go to my addiction. And when I get to my addiction... Once I participate in it, I hit my release. And then I have a period of time where I feel high, where I feel great, where I do the giving, where I gift, or or whatever it is that I do, take care of myself, whatever it is. And then I go back into my pattern again, right? So this this was a gorgeous past lifetime that because he is willing to go open, that all of that is created for him. Then his spirit guide said to me, in this current lifetime, um, this has been his behavior until he turned 50. And I looked at the man over the computer screen and I thought, well, how old is he? I I could not tell. And they said, no, he's into his mid-60s. I said, oh, okay. So this has been like... He's become aware of this then? And they said, absolutely. And you're describing the first, the first part of his life from about the age of about 16 to 50. And I can't remember if it was 50 spot on or 49 or 51. I don't know, but I'll, I'm just going to hang around that area. And they said in his like around 49 to 51, he goes through this, this transition in his life where he decides that he wants to start valuing his word. And this is what he comes to, is that, and this is what motivates everything, is that he's sick and tired of the thinking in his own head. He's sick of the ruminating, 
of the shame and of all the cycles of what he assumes other people are thinking and saying to him or about him. He gets tired of words. He gets tired of the thoughts, the chatter. And he's determined that he's going to change the, the chatter in his mind, what, he, what words come out of his mouth, and what people say to him or about him. So he decides at that period of time that he has to become a better observer and listener. And as a result of this really serious desire to be a better listener and to make sure that he's even listening to his own thinking and what he says out of his own mouth instead of just saying it but not listening to himself, that he's gone through the last decade, decade and a half where he's seriously researched listening skills, where he's watched TED Talks and YouTube videos and where he's really trying to figure out all this stuff about gaslighting and narcissists. And that really put him down a rabbit hole of, am I one? Is that what all the addictions are? Is just a form of narcissism? Isn't that cool? Good questions. Yeah. So he, be, he was determined to become better at asking people questions instead of telling them what he thought, because that's where he went into the addictions. He would spew out at somebody, this is what I think of you, and he would hurt them. And then the shame moved him back into the addiction. Mm-hmm. So he thought, well, what could I do instead of just yelling and saying things to people? And he learned, why don't you ask just a question instead of making your opinions? So instead of opinionating and having to have an opinion about every single thing in life, why not ask a question instead? Because it opens the conversation. And the other thing he did was he always, if if someone said something, he'd bring it back to himself and say, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, I got an orange tea. You got your old gray? Mine's orange. And he he had to bring things back in all of these stories to himself. And then if the person wasn't responsive, it became like a battle. And then again, if that didn't go well, he'd go off and ruminate. Repeat pattern, I got to go find my addiction to get a release. So I said, you have done a tremendous amount of work. Mm -hmm. And he just looked at me and he said, I have. And I said, and in doing the work about being a better listener, a better observer, and a better communicator, you moved through the desire to address the addictions and why you were going there. And he said, indeed I did. And I said, you even chose rehabilitation programs and you looked for that those qualities, I'm going to call them into the, I don't know what the term is for all the people that work in rehabilitation centers, so I'm going to say staff, because I would imagine there's all kinds, including cooks and people that clean. I mean, everybody, he just wanted to see in the group homes that he went to, no matter what staff or what your job was, he was looking for the communication. Hmm. So if the therapist wasn't giving it to meeting his needs, which hopefully they were, he would be content to sit and chat with the cook. And then he would cook with the cook and say, you know, could I prep the vegetables? Can I do the dishes? Wherever he found somebody who could listen and who could ask questions, and instead of just an opinion, offer a conversation that was open, he, 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 um, he clung to them. And he found the more that he did that, the longer he stayed in recovery. Hmm. Always looking for connection. Yeah. Uh, we've said this a number of times in a number of different ways that addiction is avoidance. Mm-hmm. And what he's no longer avoiding is being connected to what he feels, but also connected to others. And and connection involves awkwardness. Mm-hmm. Connection involves tremendous amounts of discomfort mm-hmm. and not avoiding it. Oh, God, yeah. Sitting in it long enough to make sense of it, yeah. to say to another person, let's navigate this together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if they're not willing to do it, I will sit here and do this for my own self. Mm-hmm. And in his case... If you won't do this with me, I will keep looking for the person here that will. Mm -hmm. And if it's not here that well, 
then I'm going to ask my therapist to help me find better questions to ask people. That's something I might be able to do in my recovery program where they're willing to say, let's come up with one to two, maybe three questions. Let's not go overboard. Let's just give you one or two questions where you learn how to create a more meaningful conversation to connect to somebody and see what your emotions feel like when you do. Mm -hmm. And if they shut you down, instead of taking it personally... It sounded like when they, if they don't shit you down. Oh, that's <laughs> good. Both, both appropriate. If they shut you down, then take it someplace else. Mm -hmm. And just keep taking it into other places because you will find eventually that even absolute strangers will have those qualities and recognize what you're doing and stop and pause and have the conversation with you. Mm -hmm. He's just looking for people with emotional intelligence with higher EQ. It's too bad we all couldn't wear a t-shirt saying high EQ and other people saying... Badge level two. <laughs> Thumbs down. No EQ here. Keep going. Drama queen only. <laughs> no EQ not searching. Drama queen. I feel like that would make dating a whole lot easier. Oh my God. That's the kind of stuff I wish. You know, if you yeah. were going to sit down on like a speed dating table yeah. or a first date, like just can I see your EQ badge or what's your EQ number? Yeah. You know, some people are like assholes and they're like, what's your credit score? It's like, no, I want to know your EQ score first. What's your credit score? Well, I mean, in yeah. extreme Got situations it. where people just want to know, like, right. are you going to bring me down or can you support me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's great. As much as it is fucked up. <laughs> it's great to educate, I'll yeah. say. So that was his first life. And he, you know, at the end of it, like we had a little conversation around that. The fact that this had gone into past lives and why his rumination then would be so very deep. And why he might feel like, how come I can't let this go? And he would say to his therapist sometimes, why can't I let things go? And his, his therapist was trying to say how you let things go. And so we had a conversation there about, no, you don't need to let it go. Sometimes you need to be aware of. Sometimes you need to compartmentalize. Sometimes you might need to know that it's still there and it's a part of you and that you need to be aware of it. We don't always, let, letting go is not always the healthiest thing to do, depending um, on circumstance. Can I just clarify too, when you say mm -hmm. that's his first life, do you mean that that's the first kind of lifetime that you channeled for him? Oh, pardon me. Yes. Okay. And then if I'm understanding how you were wording this, is that he was playing out that past life in yes. the first 50 years of his life? That's correct. Or I guess between 16 and 50, as you said? Yeah. Okay. Just so people aren't like, wait, what? Yeah, um, you're right. Sorry, I, uh, that so my wording. Yeah, and, and I, I want to say that for clarity so that people understand where we're at and which lifetime. And also, if we're saying you're playing it out, we have to play things out in this life if we're going to complete the pattern or the cycle of what we didn't get in that previous lifetime. So if you're understanding what in a past life what you went through and how you missed the lesson altogether, to stand in this one and go, oh, I'm just going to let that go. Mm. <laughs> well then you didn't actually complete or get the lesson and change the behavior. Mm -hmm. Perfectly explained. Avoidance. Exactly. Enter next stage of life where you're going to get into avoidance and other addictions. Yes. So we don't let go, as you said, without learning the lesson first. Mm -hmm. So that was his very first life. Or pardon me, his very first story where we grabbed a lifetime and went through it together. So then I did a quick check-in with him and I said, how is this working for you? And he said, I love it. And I'm grateful that this is how this is going. This is what you're doing. I said, it's nothing new. He goes, no, it's nothing new, but it's validating a lot for me. It's validating um, the ruminating. It's validating the shame. It's validating... Um, the decisions that I made, it's making me feel really confident in my own intuitiveness. Because some of this, you know, I, I looked up, but then you have to be in the conversation with the person and pay attention to your intuition in order to look at the person and go, yeah, they're not really connecting to me. This is all about them. Or I'm making this too much about me and I have to kind of, my, my, my inner core is telling me, calm down, breathe, 
ask questions, be engaged. Don't just talk about yourself. Listen to this person talk about them. They have something to say to you. Be present. So he said, I'm really grateful. He says, because it's teaching me how much, uh, how much work I've done in this lifetime. And it's making me really sit back and appreciate all of it. Not just the last 15 years of work, but the 50 years of where I went back into those addictions. It's helping me understand why it was so difficult. When I hear it's from past lives and that I've broken it, I'm 10 times more, more proud of myself. And he said, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to sit in that for a minute or two. Do you do silence in the sessions? Oh, wow. And I said, I absolutely can. Because I said, in the moments of silence, you can ask me to sit with you in the gratitude and I'll just share it with you. I said, or you can ask me to be doing more energy work where I'm actually doing more to facilitate for you, um, just your process. And he went, could Karen, we do both? Like, what a fun session. Oh, yeah. And, and what a fun Saturday morning. Yeah. And if you are in Patreon and you have your early access, what a fun Thursday. Yeah. Like, I just think mm-hmm. sometimes it's really difficult to turn on coffee with the Sarlos and expect to feel warm and fuzzy because there's such hard-hitting lessons. Oh, yeah. And I think it's really fun to listen to a gentleman like, I named him, what's his name? Elias? Elias. I was going to call him Alias. Me That's too. not right. <laughs> yes, Elias. Um, I, I just think like good for him for mm. not just getting the lessons, but being able to actually slow things down. Mm. That's the biggest thing. We always encourage um, process. But then for him to sit there and have enough wherewithal to ask you if you can do silence in a session, mm-hmm. that's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. We often have to ask clients, "Are you, would you like a moment? Mm-hmm. Would you like me to be quiet? And they are often confused by the question. So for him to actually say, do you do silence mm-hmm. and ask for what he needs, mm-hmm. I, I just think I feel warm. Mm-hmm. So we did both. And then Ener- af- energy healing and silence. Yeah. Yep. He asked for both. And then afterwards, I said to him, well, I said the last message here in this lifetime, I said from the guides to, for you is that they're saying the first 50 years of this life was written in the contract for you to go back in and redo the addictions and to be seeped in them. And he went, oh. And I said, and then the next half of your life, I said, you've made this promise to yourself that you're going to work on proving that you are trustworthy. And I said, because of the addictions, you were not trustworthy. And you you got to know that, especially coming out of them, by how people just didn't trust you. And he went, yep, that was the biggest issue. Mm-hmm. Women didn't trust me because I hurt them. My kids didn't trust me because I just, I wasn't consistent. I could be good, I could be great. And then I could be absolutely vacant, not there, withhold, abuse. He said I was, it was all over the place. And I said, so what they're saying is, is that your biggest goal now is to be trustworthy. And I said, um, yeah, isn't that beautiful? And, and you know, what good timing to, uh, we talked about in, in show notes that we've started a, a book club on emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And our book right now mm. is uh, The Four Agreements. And the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. Well, and that's one of the things that came out here is the last point that I was going to, there's a couple of points, that he decided to become aware of his word. And and that would create the trustworthiness that his word and his actions had to coincide. So the big word in his life now is congruent. Mm. And he just looked at me, I thought he was going to spit out his coffee. Because he just went, pardon? And I said, your big word is congruency. And he went, it is. He says, I'm always checking in with my children now. Am I being congruent? He goes, and I stand at each day. He goes, instead of going to my addictions, I go to my guides and I say, am I being congruent? Mm-hmm. And I said, so you've gone around asking people for forgiveness, and some of them have said yes, but after all these years of abuse, many of them have said, we will see. Good. 
And he, and I said, and you learned that after, after you had your hissy fit over that, that um, that actually that was a good idea. That the pre that the people that forgave you too quickly, you were wary of. But the people that said, we will see, we will see your behavior, I don't know about you, were the ones that said, well, I'll give you a chance, and that's what you were looking for. Yeah. And they were the ones that were holding him accountable. Yeah. You- if someone is granting you forgiveness that is undue, where you haven't earned it, you haven't expressed remorse or proper understanding of what you did to not have their trust then you're likely dealing with a people pleaser and they're not trustworthy people. Exactly. Because they'll tell you they forgive you. Yeah. But in any moment where it doesn't work for them, they mm-hmm. will be incongruent with their own word mm-hmm. and exercise meanness, exercise um, underground aggression. Yep. You got it. Or overt aggression. Yep. I think I just said aggression. Aggression? Aggression. <laughs> it was like a mix of ogre and aggression. Okay, it's really good. He's just ugly. In the second lifetime, um, he showed me where he was raised in a religious family. And where, as a result of the religious beliefs, the adults believed that they were allowed to abuse the children and each other. That's the best way that I'm going to say that because he didn't show me what religion and and it it didn't matter. So I'm just going to leave that wide open. But I realized in doing that, that some people that are listening to this could get their knickers in a knot and say, I'm religious. I'm this type X, Y, Z religion. We don't believe in abuse. I understand that. Um, And that's where I'm trying to be careful here. I'm not making it about the people listening. (laughs) This is... Elias's story. And this is the religion he grew up in and the way that his community interpreted this religion. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the piece that we're not talking about here or has so far gone unsaid is that you can be in a religion and believe that the religion doesn't support abuse, but be blind to the fact that your religion is abusing you. Yes, that's true. Yeah. There are ample people I have coached who have said, I don't believe in abusing in my relationship mm-hmm. and not understand that their partner has been abusing them verbally. Yeah, that's a very good point, Kelly. And so our belief actually isn't congruent with our behavior because we haven't perceived the behavior properly. Mm-hmm. So in his story, in that lifetime, um, he, his mom um, was, got pregnant and was sent to live with priests and nuns in a home for single moms. And in this particular, this particular establishment, um, they abused the mothers and they abused the children. And so, and they abused each other. Mm-hmm. The, 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 all of the leaders, I'm trying to be careful, all of the leaders abused each other as well. And his mom ended up leaving that home with him, which is rare. Mm -hmm. I'm going to really say that. This was a very rare circumstance here where a member of her family found out where she was, was livid, and went and got her and, and had been looking for her for several years. Wait. Was livid that she left this home she was being abused in? No, or was let me livid explain. That she they, w- that she wound up there and went to look for her. Livid that she wound up there. Good. So this this is an old. It was her grandmother, and it was her 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 um her son and his wife that put their daughter here into this situation. So when the grandmother found out, she went to this establishment. And demanded her granddaughter and great grandson, and took them out and took them, and she took them to her farm. And on the farm, uh, he was able to grow up with his mother, where under his grandmother's or her grandmother's care, mm-hmm. um, living off of the land. And they were fairly wealthy; they did quite well in on their land. Um, 
But it's here that he learns about hobbies. It's here that he learns from his grandmother who teaches his mom where he grows up and he learns to knit. And he learns to needlepoint and he learns to bake and cook and can and preserve and take care of all of the animals and nature. And he's just really happy. So he starts in this lifetime where things are really not bad at first at home. It's, I'll say it's bad to some degree. It gets worse when she gets pregnant and her parents find out. And then the abuse goes through the roof and then she's dropped off and it just escalates even, well, a thousand times more. And then her grandmother comes in in this other life. So it's like having two, three lifetimes in one lifetime. I think people will get that. Yeah. And so he has this, man, Kelly, when I look at Elias's face and I describe this, I, like I wish sometimes like I could say, and here was his face. <laughs> screenshot. <laughs> yeah. Like I like I wish I could just show it to people and have the video so that people could sit here and go, Oh, I understand. Because now it's left up to me to find words to say to everybody that this is what I inferred from his conversation and the look on his face and the energy between the two of us, which was just absolutely, oh my God. I have literally lived this life again, but in a little bit of a different way. Mine, his were these addictions this time with all of the self-abuse, right? And abusing others and others abusing him. But he does the same thing in this life. And he says to me, I just cannot believe what you're doing with past lives. He says, this is just blowing me away. Can you draw the parallel for us in this, this most recent lifetime that you're, you're talking about and how he's playing it out? He's moved. He's moved to the country. So up to 50, he lived in a big city. After, and, and there are other similarities, so, and I'll go into those in a second. So that little part there about where he chooses to live, up to 50, he's in the big city. After 50... He decides he's getting out. His career can be done now over technology and phones and stuff, so he doesn't have to he doesn't have to see his clients face to face. So things have progressed because of computers. So he moves out into what he calls the life that he wants, and he's farming, and he doesn't have the very same animals or the same number or that he's made it into um his, what his grandmother did, it was for a living. So, I mean, she, she was able to sustain many people and hire people on her farms. He's doing it for himself. So he's, he's sharing. Like, he'll take some of his produce and he'll sell some of it on a couple of Saturday mornings in the summertime in August and late September. But he's not doing it where it's making him enough money for the whole year. But it's very similar that the going back to the hobbies of once you're inside in the winter, he says, I can't believe you said knitting. He goes, my wife knits. And she she said, babe, just come on over and sit down. I'll just show you how to knit. We can make blankets and we can give them away. And because he has this desire post-alcohol, post-addictions to give back to the people that he hurt, he makes blankets. Hmm. And he makes these little gifts. He does woodworking with her. They do some painting, some staining. They will they will take some, like a piece of furniture for somebody and reupholster it for them. He figures out the ways to put his energy and his creativity into things to say, I made you a blanket. And that's his way of saying, I'm sorry, and I'm trying to show you by my actions that I am congruent. So if he says he's going to make you something, he's going to make you something. Mm-hmm. It might take him time because he's got a list of people and you have to be on the waiting list, but he will get to it and drop it off and give it to you, even if it's three years later. Which I just, oh, I just, I just love this one. I, I, like now, another part of the congru- of the living that past lives was that he had been raised in a religious family again, and he had not looked deeply at the beliefs of that religion and how they played into his depression and his shaming, his saboteur, and why then he ruminated 
and how he created these thoughts about himself, where in turn he moved to the addictions. Mm -hmm. So he didn't, he hadn't spent all kinds of time yet to figure out that a lot of those core beliefs and those problems that he was, you know, the self-abuse, he didn't understand had come from the religion of when he was a child in this current lifetime. And so when I said that to him, he went, oh, what? And he goes, I've done a lot of work, but I haven't looked at it that way. So I said, well, the guides are inviting you to, to look at it that way. So they're saying that you're still in therapy. And he says, I am. He says, I believe therapy is for the rest of my life. And he's, I said, you could go back to a therapist and ask to revisit that. Not that you aren't looking to dredge up pain, but that you might just be looking at excavating the belief systems and seeing, in fact, how you have changed some of them by your desire for congruency mm -hmm. and, and keeping your word. So he wanted to dive a little bit into the religion part by asking the guides what they wanted to contribute to that so he could get started. So I asked the guides what they wanted to say, and their response was, look at the word gaslighting. And he said, um, okay. He goes, I've looked at that. He goes, um, I understand what it is. And then he kind of looks at me, Kelly, and he goes, well, hold up. And I said, okay, is it starting to sink in a little bit? And he goes, yes. He goes, what the guides are telling me is that the religious people and the rules and the stories and everything that they've written gaslight people. Yes, for fuck's sakes. <laughs> and he got it. He just sat there and looked at me, sits back in his chair and crosses his arms. You know, I can't because I've got to stay close to the microphone, but he sits back, just kind of lets his shoulders drop and he goes, all right then. He goes, so this explains why I'm still alive and I haven't kicked it yet. <laughs> I said, okay, that's good. Good attitude. He goes, it's, it's okay. He goes, my wife and I have come to the conclusion that we are in this marriage till death do us part because we're both working our asses off. Cool. And he says, and we've made the agreement that if one of us stops working, the other one has the right to say, babe, bye. <laughs> I, I want to continue my journey to work and I respect the fact that you don't. And I want you to respect the fact that I do. So this will be amicable and off we go. And he says, so we've come to some healthier agreements. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And he goes, so we've chosen death to you, do you part because we both agree on core basic principles that we're both here to work. We're here to collaborate. We're here to let each other lead. We take turns following. He says, we've got some different tools now about what death do us part means. Well, I think ultimately you're talking about the fact that the core values of what they believe love to be. Yeah. Are, are congruent you with, got with one another. And so the tools that they're going to get are going to feed into those things. Yeah. Because if they fundamentally didn't have the same core beliefs about what love is, they wouldn't be saying till death do us part. You got it. So they're redefining everything. Yes. And then I said, so do you understand that if a religion doesn't give you the emotional intelligence to grow and to mature, that you're fucked? When a religious a religion doesn't give you. Right. I know. <laughs> when you realize. Exactly. But this is mm -hmm. the part of maturity. Mm -hmm. This is the part of being able to ind individuate. So we need to individuate not only from our own parents. We need to individuate from society's ideas, from the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, meaning Hollywood. We have to individuate from the fact that, you know, the sports shows teach us, you know, pick up your beer. You should have a beer in your hand at all times at a sporting event and a piece of, I was going to say a piece of meat. You're right. Like you got a barbecue. Literally. L like, yeah. li like literally. We have to individuate from this and say, no, we d I don't have to do any of that. I don't even have to watch every game. I don't have to have beer. I don't ever have to have a drink. We have to individuate from religion because they come in to say, we're going to give you these rule rules. Book. You're going to live by them, no matter if they make sense or not. And you're going to die by them. Exactly. And, and if it means that you are driven to alcohol or to abuse because of them, then that's your problem and not ours. And so, and that's part of the gaslighting. So... He's, he sits there and he says to me, I really like this because you're just basically talking about growing up. Yes. 
And and seeing the truth, like and and I really like the example that you were giving because these institutions, religion just being one of them, will give you a rule and then be not responsible for the result of it. So mm-hmm. alcohol companies saying drink at all times, but drink responsibly. It's completely incongruent That's with right. their own messaging. Yeah, go to an arena, meaning drive your car there, and drink. And then drive your car home, or we don't really know what. Exactly. Drink constantly, but drink responsibly. And we're not going to define what that means, but Mm -hmm. you understand constantly, so we'll just, we'll go with that one. And that's what I mean, like, where you and I are agreeing that it's all gaslighting. Yeah. And that it's all confusion, and then, you know, if you're 16 and you break those rules, your parents and society shits down your neck for it. But when you're 30... Unless you're a white man. Oh my God. A white 16 year old. Right. Right. Unless you have responsible parents. Let's, let's throw that in because there are some that are, so let's say that, but we're talking generally here that the average white man can get away with anything. That's true. We all know that. Did we get on an angry tangent? (laughs) Did you see my head whip up? (laughs) An accurate angry tangent. Well, yeah. And it's the right time to be angry and it's a healthy angry because it's a truthful one Mm -hmm. and that we do really have to change those um, beliefs. We have to challenge those. We have to challenge all of this. We have to see the gaslighting for everywhere that it is. And if we aren't willing to look at the religions too and excavate and pull out and take a fine tooth comb for all of the gaslighting, you know, I can give tons of examples in some religions, but I'm not familiar with them all. But we have to be able to look at them and say, is this gaslighting? Does this even make common sense? Does it serve the purpose of the world instead of just our group? Or just even some people in our group, even not even all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes some relig- religions are just at the benefit of the men and never the children or the women. Or the head. Or just the head of the, yeah. Okay, on to the third life, Kelly. So in the third, oh, I should stop for a second. Um, I'm trying to remember now, like at the end of the second life, I checked in with him, asked him if it pertained to him, and he said yes. We had a discussion around that. He talked about how his wife and he were trying to not, they don't call themselves religious anymore. They didn't know if they liked the term spiritual. They didn't know if they liked the term oneness. They were trying to figure out what all these things really meant because they were seeing some false false behaviors around spiritual people. I like to go with the internet option, searching. Oh! <laughs> that's, that's, what are you? I'm searching. I think that's fantastic. And that's, that's really apropos as to what he and his partner are trying to do. So they are just in the mode of, we're just going to, we don't know what we're called. We, we just don't put a label on it. We're just in a work, I think he kind of referred to it as, it's just a work in progress. And that's all my life is going to be. So the next lifetime, he just says to me, I would like you to keep going. I don't want to go. So we checked in at half an hour and he goes, this is so beneficial. I am getting so much out of this. I can hardly wait to tell my wife. This is not just affirming. It's helpful. You're giving me more tools, more ways like where my brain just feels like it's unraveled. I feel like I've dumped the 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 shit out of my sewage place. It's empty. And he goes, and so I just feel like now that my septic tank is empty, I feel like I can go up to my wife and go, there's a bunch more shit we have to empty and the tank's empty. Let's go. <laughs> I've just, I've just got, um, <laughs> what's that movie called? Ferris, no, is it not Ferris, no. I don't know. The one where he's like, shitter's full. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Lampoon, National Lampoon. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> so, Let's dump. Yeah. So he goes, this session feels like I've dumped and you're acknowledging and it's like you're even taking some of the stuff away from me that I've been holding on to. The shit mm-hmm. I've been holding on to to say, did I really do this work? And he says, and you've like taken it from me and said, yeah, you don't need that. <laughs> and you're, you're purging it for me. He says, that's how I feel today. He goes, go into the third lifetime. I'm really content. So then we, we started the third life and the guide said, we're going to call this the life of rumination. Sounds magical, also sounds tragic. Yes. 
And I said, what does that mean for you guys? Like, how do I describe this to, to him? And they said, well, this is a lifetime of anxiety and depression and going to psychiatrists one after the other and being medicated. Not seeing a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist that's actually interested in really communicating and giving him tools instead of, um, and I, you know, this isn't a show about bashing, bashing psychiatrists. Our listeners know that we heavily refer to them. Therapy. Well, we heavily promote that. We just promote good therapy. <laughs> We're just believers in you have to have the right therapist and that they're not all created equally good. Yeah. Same way we say the same thing about any profession. Including our own. Yes. Oh my God, it's like it, especially our own. Yes. <laughs> so the guides came in and said that in this past lifetime, it started really with a lot of anxiety and it developed into depression because he didn't get help for the anxiety. And as a result, things just kept going on a loop, became ruminating. And then the beliefs of, I can't do this and I can't go out in public. And if I don't like my job, I can't quit. And if I quit, then I'm a loser. Instead of, I can go out, I can try 50 jobs. I can keep quitting um, until I know what I want to do. That's my business and nobody else's. Mm. He didn't have these healthy beliefs. He got stuck in, I can't quit a job or I'm a loser or people will make fun of me or they'll think badly of me instead of, no, a lifetime is all about change. A lifetime is, you know, if I have 30 jobs and 30 careers, that's okay. That's what I pick in one lifetime. Maybe in the past life, I picked one job and I stayed there for 30 years. Maybe this was my lifetime for, for, for change and variety. And that was to enhance who I am as a person. And he said, oh my God, I can't believe this. <laughs> he goes, okay, you're hitting the nail on the head again. He goes, continue. And I said, am I hitting the nail on the head because of anxiety and then into depression? And he goes, absolutely. And he goes, and you're hitting the nail on the head about the ruminating. He says, my, my wife discovered this whole thing about rumination and um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and she introduced it to me. And he says, I've really gotten into that in some of my therapy to help me come out of that. He says, I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. Um, and he says, and I did, he says, part of one of my addictions was to the medication for depression. Mm -hmm. And then once that just wasn't working anymore, I went into other drugs alcohol. And when they didn't work anymore, I just kept upping things. And he said, but it all began around the age of 13, 14, of the anxiety of just wanting to fit in social groups. So when I asked the spirit guides, what was up with that lifetime, a message that could come through for him to be of benefit to him, they said, yes, that even though there was this ruminate, uh, the rumination that the cause of the rumination came from the way he was raised as a people pleaser. And that as a result, direct result of the people pleasing, the anxiety. And because the people pleasing never got addressed, that the medication never, never could really deal with the issue. It could deal with certain things that were going on in the brain at different times but it could never deal with any of the patterns or the things that he was doing or the communication or the skill set that he needed to deal with those things. And that in that lifetime, he did not have a psychiatrist who did any of that. And so the guide said that in this lifetime, he went through the very same experience of finding the very same kind of psychiatrist that just prescribed drugs. He would pop in the question. He had an hour booked, and his, he used to say that he could get in and out in 10 minutes. Mm. So he'd go in, his psychiatrist would say, how are you doing? Rewrite the prescription or change it up a little bit. That's he'd leave. Therapy. He'd go to have a coffee and at, downstairs in the building, his wife would come back and pick him up and then the, he'd leave. And she'd say, how did therapy go? And he'd say, fine, because it was just getting another prescription. That's not therapy. That is a PhD person writing you a prescription. Mm -hmm. That's what an irresponsible MD could do. 
and it is way more irresponsible that a psychiatrist is doing it Mm because they actually have the tools of psychiatry to counsel you. The MD should be handing you the medication or saying, please see a psychiatrist because this is the most I can offer you. I don't have the psych background. That's right. That's right. So in the current lifetime, when he came out one day, because the same thing was had repeated itself, he came out with the coffee. And she went, why, why do you have a coffee mug? <laughs> why do you have a coffee cup in your hand? And he goes, well, I just had a coffee in the, in the bottom, in the little coffee shop in the bottom of the building. And she went, when? She goes, how could you? I've been here. She goes, I've been sitting here waiting for you. I didn't leave this time. And he goes, oh, had you told me that, I could have been out of here 50 minutes ago. And she went, pardon me? And it was her research and knowledge of what all of this should have been for him that she sat there and she went, not again, you're done. You're never seeing that person again. Give me that prescription. She pitched it out the window and she was like, not happening. You, I am not losing you like this. And they went home and found another psychiatrist who they questioned over the phone and said, how long are your appointments? Do you give homework? And so they literally prepared a list of questions for the psychiatrist receptionist or administrative person to say, do you get tools? Do you get homework? Do you have follow-up? Are you held accountable? There was a list of questions. Do they prescribe drugs? Do they believe in working with a naturopathic doctor? Do they believe in, in nutrition? Do they believe that like you know that supplements will help? Blah, blah, blah. And ask like 10 to 15 questions and found an educated and working psychiatrist. Working meaning doing their job. And so currently in this lifetime, he had experienced the same thing as this other lifetime. But thank God for the help of his wife, that that whole situation changed in this lifetime. Mm. And still sees that, that psychiatrist. Nice. He does. Still gets his homework. Mm-hmm. Still is learning his tools. And has so many more and has changed and grown is just understanding by listening to the past lifetime. Again, why did this happen? It, and, and we discussed that. He goes, so these things, he says, what I'm understanding today is that if something is left unfinished in a past lifetime, what I've seen out of three lifetimes is that it came forward again in this one until I finally got the help and did the tools and stood up and took care of myself. He says, that's what I'm really learning from this conversation today. He says, because you just don't, you don't know me. He goes, you're a complete stranger. And yet you've done three lifetimes and you pulled out in all different aspects of my life, all these little things that I've been dealing with. And then you've been telling me that they were in a life, a past lifetime and in this one, it, it, was, it was repeated, but I confronted it this time and I did the work. And he says, you know, I'll be the first to say, I haven't done it perfectly, but I st- I've stuck to it. And I've learned to be a better listener when people say, you know, I, did, I didn't do a good job. I don't take it personally. I just say thank you. And I go back and I try again. I hope this lights a fire under people's asses. <laughs> If they're listening to this show, three past lives and understanding that if you don't deal with it, you're just going to deal with it in the next one or be presented with another opportunity. Like you think about how annoyed and tired you are when one person in this life asks you to do something for a second time because you know you've been avoiding it. You're mad at them. Yeah. Think about that from lifetime to lifetime. Mm -hmm. And just like get up and do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot easier. You conserve your energy, you retrieve it. And that's what he's learned. He's learned that he's retrieved his own energy now and that it's become productive for him and that he and his partner both have benefited from that instead of the fight, the procrastination, the stubbornness. Mm -hmm. That shit show. Lovely. Mm -hmm. You did a wonderful job for him. Thank you. Uh, You know what, Kelly? I love doing past lives. Oh my 
God, I get excited when somebody says to me at the beginning, past lives, you got half an hour, you've got an hour, you've got 90 minutes. And I'm like, yes. I, I'm surprised that no one has written in after 300 and some episodes to say, have you noticed that every modality you talk about on the show, Karen says at the end, I love this one. <laughs> That's true. I do love all of them. It's so true. It's true and it's evident in the way that you channel for people. Mm. How much you love each individual modality and how they come together. Yeah. So I poke fun, but I think it's also, you know, the thing I'm making fun of is also one of your best qualities and which, what makes you great. Oh, thank you. Now, um, I'm just going to say before we end the show, I would like to book an appointment with you <laughs> <laughs> for 90 past minutes past lives <laughs> or one hour, whatever you'll do for me. Sure. Because it really does highlight what it is you're here to work on and what you are doing well. And that's a good feeling. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to tell you how many times that man thanked me for how good he felt at the end of the session. And this is a man that lived 50 years abusing. Mm -hmm. And then to hear that he's done the work. And had 15 good years so far. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. amazing. That's a happy dance. Cool. Thank you for the show today. You're very welcome. Get your appointment book out, girl. And people are like, when <laughs> when should we listen for that show? <laughs> oh, that would be a good show. Well, who knows if it's going to we'll be see. a good one, but. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at bysarlo.com. No matter where you've tuned in from, thank you for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe and join us next Saturday for a brand new show.